Serving Saves Lives, part one, I want to talk to you about the mindset that makes a difference. And what's the mindset? A serving mindset. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 20, verse 28, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Our Savior served. And because he served, we got saved. You ever put that together? Please do, because it's so important. Because he didn't just stay here and decide, I'm gonna do this whole thing myself. He actually left behind a church. It was a small church, 120 people. But that church was filled with the Holy Spirit, spread around the region of Judea, in modern-day Israel, the region of Judea, spread up to Antioch, around the Mediterranean world, the Roman world of the first century, spread into Europe, Africa, came all the way around here to America, and the church is still going strong, and people are entering the church every single week. Why? Because people serve the one who served them to see them saved. I want you to write this down. It's kind of like a theme. Let's like launch this message series on this thought. Who, write this down, who might be saved because I served? I was um, preparing this talk and I thought, gosh, I think about all the names that I could list for you of people that got me to this moment. People you don't know, I know, God knows, and how many are aware of this, that who you serve and what you do in serving down here yields extensive rewards up there. We are rewarded for what we serve Jesus with here on this earth. Not just there, but here. Our culture tells us, live for yourself, follow your dreams, pursue your passions, Carpe diem sees the day, YOLO. Which is the most asinine statement ever. You don't only live once, you live twice. It's not YOLO, it's YOLT. <laughs> and how you live here will affect how you receive God's grace and gifts there. And it doesn't matter if you're seen. You don't have to be seen to serve. You don't have to be great to serve. Martin Luther King Jr. said anybody can be great because anybody can serve. And that is true. I was writing this and I had tears in my eyes as I thought about the names. And I want to share some of them with you because I am not a self-made man. I did not get up here by myself. I did not come to this place because I determined that I followed my dreams and changed my... No, no, no. People before you, before me, served God and made a place for me to move forward in God. I can go all the way back to when I was eight years old in kids ministry in a church, small little church, Western Massachusetts, and the pastor's wife in that small little church was my Sunday school teacher. And she put up with me, her son, and two other boys. Every Sunday morning, 9 a.m., her lessons were basically the same every week. Jesus loves you, shut up. <laughs> Jesus loves you, be quiet. <laughs> rambunctious boys. You don't know her name, I know her name. God knows her name. Her name is Judy Norville. She changed my life. Every week she would lead us to the sinner's prayer after she did her lesson because she basically knew we needed Jesus. And one of those days it took and I got saved. She served and now I'm serving you and calling you to serve others. And then I thought about my first youth pastor, the Jesus Revolution movie, such a powerful movie. Did you know that he was part of that movement? He was a hippie, saved by God's grace, radically changed, transformed. His name was Donnie Roach. And he gave his life, his time, free of charge to being my youth pastor. And you know, he was one of these guys that was so in the world that when he got saved, he like was as committed to Jesus as he used to be committed to the world. You know, some people can get too saved. You know what I'm talking about? Too saved, like everything has to be spiritual. And he was, yeah, at the beginning it was like that, but he would sit down with us boys on Wednesday nights and he would go verse by verse through the Bible and he convinced us that that stuff that he enjoyed in his dark days of sin was not nearly as great as loving Jesus. He convinced me that Jesus Christ was better than marijuana. 
And because he was so convincing, I have never smoked marijuana in my life. I don't even know what it smells like. When, I, when I'm around it and the smell is in the air, Cheryl always has to point it out to me. Don't ask me why she knows. I don't know how. She's like, what's this marijuana? I'm like, I don't even know. And the reason why I don't know is because Donnie Roach, my youth pastor, told me convincingly, there ain't no high like a Jesus Christ high. Amen, somebody. <laughs> Names that you don't know, but I know and got me here. I think about a name named, a pastor named Pete Privatera. When I was in college, he was planting a church in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and he asked me. I didn't even have gifts to do what he asked me to do, but I served, I got involved. I became his worship pastor, his worship leader, a 21-year-old punk. He gave me opportunity, but then he did more than that. He saw something in me. He knew that I had a passion to go into ministry myself one day, and he would meet with me at a diner in Philadelphia every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and he would disciple me one-on-one. -on -one. And I still remember the this, this Saturday morning, he sat me down and he pushed a book across the table and he said, this is my gift to you, Tim. He wrote a little note in it. It's still in the shelf in my office to this day. It was a, it was a pastor uh, who, who wrote a book on church planting. That book changed my life. And here I am 25 years later and we're planting churches together because Pastor Pete Privatera served me. Don't you understand how it works? Everyone's life is ripples in a pond. Everyone's life. The rock gets dropped. The rock is Jesus. He drops in your life. And the ripples spread farther than you can possibly know. That's how this movement operates. America has a problem. We don't live up to our ideals anymore. America has become a give-me state, a give-me country. Give me. Give me free money. Give me free health care. Give me free college. Give me opportunities. Give me privilege. Give me responsibility. Give me everything. Give me everything but responsibility. Give me, give me, give me. And, and we're, 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 we've got our politicians regularly, listen for it because it's coming up, regularly pandering on what they can do for us. That's what a politician has to do now. Promise you goodies. Because the government loves to play God. And I was thinking about it. It's almost like an eon ago. It was almost like a different country. There was a presidential candidate who stood up in front of a crowd of people. A great senator from Massachusetts. Almost like a foreign language to us today. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. But what you can do for your country. And he was a great president and he founded the Peace Corps to serve other people. And he was a champion of civil rights to bring us together. And he promoted the idea of serving your fellow man. And it was such a threat to the powers that be, our government killed him. Because the government wants to play God and provide all your needs. And if the government is God, then you don't need God. You understand how it works? Because the leaders of this world are under the authority of a self-centered God named the devil who seeks only to serve himself. And he wants you to do the same. Don't be a gimme Christian. Because it's one thing if unbelievers live gimme lifestyles, but it's a terrible thing if God's people live gimme lifestyles. So many people come to church based on, well, what can you do for me? What, what, what do you have for my kids? What do you have for my teenagers? What do you have for my young adults? What do you have for my marriage? What do you have for my financial problems? What do you have for my community? What do you have for my loneliness? What do you have, what do you have, what do you have, what do you have? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And I get it. At first, that should be a, a part of the church experience. We want to serve you. But once you've been served, it's time to serve. Some people will jump from church. I've watched them. They jump from church to church depending on the age range of their kids. I'm gonna bring my kids to this church because it's got a really great kids program. I'm gonna bring my church now to this church because it's got a really great teen program. I'm gonna bring my church over here to this because it's got a single program. It's like, what are you doing? Are you serving yourself or serving Jesus? Give me Christians. The world needs less of them. This is why the world doesn't want anything to do with the movement of Jesus because we're gimme Christians. And it's time to not be gimme Christians. There's a story Jesus shares about in Luke chapter 15 about a, a son who was in his father's house. He had two sons, and the younger son comes to his father. He has two lines in the whole play, and his two lines are this. 
Father, give me my share of the estate. We call him the prodigal son. And the father gave him his share of the estate, and he ran off, and he spent it on wild living and loose women. And then a famine hit the land, and he dried up all of his money, and his friends left. And he was sitting in the pigsty, feeding pigs, longing to eat the food. He was feeding pigs. Rock bottom. And his second line goes like this. How many of my father's servants have it so much better than me? I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, this is his line. Remember what he said when he first left? What did he say when he first left the father's house? Father, give me, give me. Rock bottom hits and he says, I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. Did you know that? That's the story of the prodigal son. He moved from a give me mindset to a make me mindset. I'm asking that this series, we do that as a church. Amen, somebody. See, I want you to write this down. Salvation is real in my life when I move from a give me mindset to a make me mindset. I, I, I don't want the church just to be there for me. I want to be the church and be there for others. It's, it's, it's ask not what your church can do for you. <laughs> ask what you can do for your church. Amen. <laughs> what a, what a, what a church. You're, you're a wonderful church, but I know we can do better. There's no way we're starting two new locations. There's no way we're starting Saturday night services here in North Dallas. And we might go to more services at other locations without more team members. My wife and I were at lunch the other day, a couple, well, about 10 days ago, before last weekend. I don't preach on Labor Day weekend usually, and uh, so I wasn't preaching on Labor Day weekend down in Apollo Beach, and so we were having lunch. She was a little bit irked. She was a bit, you know, bothered. And I said, well, what's wrong? What's going on? I could tell. She said, oh, I just realized that the person that I scheduled for Waters Kids in Apollo Beach is canceled on me last minute. Now it's up to me to do it myself. And that happens way more often than it should at Waters Church. You don't understand that when you say yes and then you say no, like ripples in a pond, only bad ripples that affect so many other people's lives and people who were not scheduled have to step up and change their plans. Listen, don't do that. Don't do that. Be reliable. Be faithful. Let your word be your word. Yes be yes and no be no. Amen? Because people that aren't even staff members are counting on you to follow through with serving. So she was just, you know, struggling, and I'm like, oh, and I said something that I probably regret. I said, well, I'll do it with you. To my everlasting astonishment, she said, okay. So I, your lead pastor, for the first time in our church's history, served in Waters Kids in Apollo Beach, Florida, last Sunday. But I said to myself, I'm not just going to do it. I am going to film it. And so I did, so that I could share with you my adventures in serving in Waters Kids. Watch this. Time to gear up. I think it fits pretty nice. Let's get going. Waters Kids. What? Okay, right away I noticed that there's a lot of kids. I am outnumbered. Hey, let me take that. Let me take that. Here we go. Here we go. Get out of the way, kids. Get out of the way. Focus. Focus. Okay, I just had to get away because it's 10 minutes into service. These people are nuts. These kids are crazy. Moments later. It's getting crazy in here. I don't know if I can take much more. Good news, it's over. The parents are picking up the kids. This is the future right here, right here behind me. The future of our church. How important is that? So important. The best thing about Waters Kids is that if, even if you do it poorly, they can't tell. They still think you did a great job, right? 
<laughs> yeah, keep pastor in the pulpit. I'm making a deal with you guys. If you don't step in and serve, I'm gonna give the pulpit away more and serve in Waters Kids. Kids are that important to the movement of Jesus. That's where the real action is. I say this all the time. You think we're babysitting your kids so I can teach you about Jesus? No, I'm babysitting you so that we can indoctrinate and brainwash your kids to love Jesus. <laughs> Consider yourself babysat, amen. <laughs> See, I don't like that term brainwash. Every brain needs to be washed, amen? Just depends on the soap. We got the soap of Jesus. All right, so anyway, I think about the people that don't, get seen and they serve. And this is the problem with our country is that we, 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 we've, we've lost our serving mentality. You know how much of America is built on serving? Our police cars. What, what does it say on the side of our police cars? To protect and to serve. What do we call the people that we elect to office? We call them public servants. Teachers are public or kids serve. They're serving kids. That's, that's the heartbeat of America. You serve, think about it, you serve in the military. Did you know that jury duty is actually technically called jury service? Community service is a punishment for some people. Like when you do something bad, they're like, okay, now you're gonna have to serve the community. Like that's how you undo what you did bad. Even criminals who go to jail, we call it serving time. Think about these, these themes of our country. The theme of the Bible is serving. I did a quick Bible search of how many people God called servants. How many people does the Bible call servants? You'll be astonished this morning at how many, and the names on the list. I wrote it down, it's not on the screen, I'm gonna name them for you. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, Job, Noah, Jacob, Joseph, Jonah, Ruth, Esther, Mary, the apostles, Peter, James, John, James, the brother of Jesus opens his letter at the end of our Bibles by saying, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. The Bible is covered with servants, people who heard from God and served other people. This is what our world needs now more than ever before, because we got problems. America has got problems. And here's what we do. Every year, we got really jazzed up about voting. Like, do something other than vote. Do something other than complain. You have a choice, curse the darkness or light up a candle. Racism is a problem in our country, serious problem. Okay, beyond the vote, who other than you that doesn't look like you are you serving? Who have you welcomed into your community? That's a different shade of skin color than you. To show the world that the church of Jesus Christ is not a white man's religion, not a black man's religion, it's for every color and shade under God's glorious sun. We are all made in his image. <laughs> Fatherlessness is a serious problem. Fatherless, so we could curse that or we could Serve in Waters Kids. Young men could step up and serve in Waters Kids and love kids in Jesus' name. You, my wife tells me this because she's in charge of Waters Kids. She says, the kids light up when a young man who loves Jesus is involved in the ministry. Because we need a father figure. That's how we can undo this curse upon our country. Abortion is a curse, it's a sin, it's a grievous sin against the heart of God. Ripping apart an unborn innocent child in this mother's womb is a curse, it's a sin. Okay, we can curse the darkness, we can do something about it, and water church, here's what you do. You bring your ties to our church. Our church gives some of that money to pregnancy resource centers outside of our church to save unborn children from murder in their mother's womb. You have a choice in life. Curse the darkness or light a candle. And you can light a candle by stepping up to serve. I've got some movements in this series, some move four. Week one is serve here. That's movement number one, serve here. Why? Because this is a nice safe place to try out serving. Because <laughs> if you stink at it, we'll still have grace for you. 
Then there's movement number two, serve there. Movement number three, serve anywhere. And then movement number four in the series will be serve where no one else dares. How do you serve your enemy? We'll get to that. But, but this, this is our opportunity to light a candle in our world. And so Paul is writing to the Philippian church. We're in Philippians chapter two. If you've got a Bible, open up to it. Philippians chapter two, gonna read this passage together because he's talking to a church that he loves. Actually, Philippians is a letter from Paul the Apostle to a church in the first century in the Roman colony, Roman city of Philippi. And um, it's a great church. Actually, it's a thank you letter because they've given to his ministry financially and spiritually. They prayed for him, they've served him, they loved him, but Paul has seen some things. He started to see some cracks in their armor. And here's what was happening in Philippi. They were starting to become divisive. They were starting to become angry at each other. They were starting to separate. You know who loves division? Satan. He, he divided the angels from God. He divides husband from wife. Here, here's this. He divides fathers and mothers from children. There's a big curse on our country right now of children who won't talk to their parents. And they won't talk to their parents because of who their parents voted for. You, you know that whoever is present, you know that the nations of this world, the kingdoms of this world are under the auspices of the devil. Whenever we vote and elect somebody, we're just electing someone else to work for the devil. Really, that's what we're doing. The kingdom of this world is not the kingdom of Christ. Okay? If you let politicians divide you from mom and dad, shame on you because they've only got four to eight years there. Your parents are your parents for life. How did I get on that? I don't know, somebody here needed to hear that, I don't know. That wasn't in my notes. But the point of the matter is, is in Philippi, the church was dividing and, and the devil loves to divide the church. The devil, the devil wants to divide you from this church. And he will, he will use the stupidest complaint to get you to walk out the doors. Oh, the pastor said this, I'm leaving. Oh, they didn't welcome me, I'm leaving. Oh, that person said that, I'm leaving. And the devil does a happy dance. And this is what was happening in Philippi. So Paul writes this like, thank you letter. Remember what you've done to serve me, now serve each other. And he gives us the three ingredients to serve. And I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's word at, every, at both locations, if you don't mind. Uh, Philippians chapter two, we're gonna read this from verse one to look at the three ingredients that make it, that, of the mindset that makes the difference Verse one, Philippians two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count other people more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but is to be held onto. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful passage. Let's pray together and ask God to open our hearts to it. Father, thank you, Lord, for serving so that we might be saved. Inspire us to serve so the people beyond us might be saved. And I know that they're not going, this, your people are not going to be inspired to serve because of me. They're gonna be inspired to serve because of you. So help us all to see Jesus. In his name we pray, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Three ingredients of the mindset that makes a difference. Write this down. Number one, humbled by God's or Christ's goodness. Uh, if you want a mindset that makes a difference, if you want to be a servant-hearted person, you need regular reminders of what God has done for you. And that is exactly what Paul does here in this passage. 
He reminds the Philippians, think of what you've got in Christ Jesus. And let me just ask this question of both locations. Say a hearty amen if you agree with this. Um, Christ has blessed your life significantly. Well, how so? Paul unpacks that in verse one. Look at it again. He says, so if there is, and, and let me just stop at if, because if sounds skeptical, it's not skeptical. In the original Greek language, allow me to sound very intelligent for a moment. The Greek text here is in the first class conditional, which means that he's assuming it's true. He's not questioning if it's a reality. It would be better translated, so since there is. This is a fact about what it is in your life to be in Christ. What do we got? Four things. We've got encouragement in Christ. We've got encouragement. The word in Greek is paraklesis. That's the same word that Jesus uses in John 14 and 16 for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit encourages God's people. What is encourage about? Encourage has the word courage in it. So to have courage, to be encouraged, is to have courage in your heart. Did you know that that's what the Holy Spirit came to do for you? The Holy Spirit came to do this for you, to give you courage. I was raised Pentecostal. I thought that people filled with the Holy Spirit were weirdos. They were crazy people who spoke in other tongues and acted weird and shook sometimes and said weird things out of order in church services. That was my experience. But I took, a I took time to look at it in the Bible and when I realized that the scriptures teach this, that the people with the Holy Spirit are bold. They're strong. They're confident. Is that you? You've got that. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got boldness in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not gonna face any, uh, no problems. It doesn't mean you're gonna have an easy life. It just means that when you face problems and when you face difficulties and when you face challenges, you are gonna face them head on with faith believing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Where's my boldness come from? Me? No, Holy Spirit. I have that because I've been in the church. I've been born again. I've got Jesus in me, and if God is for me, who can be against me? Number two, you got comfort from his love. The word comfort here, also an encouraging word, paramethion, it's the feeling of being loved. Do you feel God's love? Do you, have you ever felt God's love? One of my greatest appreciative comments about this church is when people tell me, and we will see a video of this in a moment, when people tell me all the time, that from the moment they walked through the doors of our church, they felt loved. You didn't realize how important the frontline people are in our parking lots and our greeting team and our usher team to love people in to this moment right here so that while I'm yelling at them for 45 minutes, they, they, can, they can bear it because they've been loved into it, amen? Then, then he says you got participation in the spirit. The word participation is koinonia. That means commonality, fellowship. I've got a family in the Holy Spirit. When you go to other places and find Christians, you ever have this experience? Where you go to strange places and you meet a Christian, you're like, oh, you're a Christian. I'm a, wow. Yeah, brotherhood, sisterhood right away. You know what that is? That's the koinonia that has been produced in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's a common bond because God, the Holy Spirit, lives in both of you. Amen? Isn't that awesome? He says you got affection and sympathy. The word affection and sympathy, they go together because you get these from Christ. And the word affection is splachna in Greek. Splachna. It's a word that you say it and you spray it at the same time. <laughs> but it means, it means to have this gut-level love for someone, soul-level partnership that when one of you suffers, your, your, your guts get twisted in knot. This is what you get in Christ. Now, there is a qualification. There's a qualifier to get all these things. Online people, TV people, listen up. You actually have to be in church. You actually have to be in community. And to the people in our church services who are not yet in life group, I would say, you actually have to get in life group. You have to face each other, love, see the true body of Christ and feel those things. And those humble us. It's humbling. I don't know if anybody's like me, but I mess up. I mess up a lot. I sin. Still to this day. I, 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 in some ways, I'm so disgusted by what I still do and say. 
and God in his grace has not saw fit to split the earth and toss me into hell. And that humbles my heart like you have no idea. I can't believe that God puts up with me. Anybody with me on this? Like some of you, you come from the positive reinforcement side of the world. And you can't handle, you can't handle preaching like this because you want people to come along and say, you're awesome, you're wonderful, you're a champion, you're a snowflake. And you become a snowflake and everything hurts you. Everything triggers you. Everything is a microaggression. I mean, like, grow up. You're always worried about whatever everybody else has microaggressed you. Haven't you microaggressed others? I mean, who made you the Virgin Mary? I mean, honestly. Like, stop. Here's the fact. We all stink. And Jesus loves us. My value does not come from me thinking I'm great. My value comes from God loving me in spite of me. And that message gets me through the dark seasons of my life. Now, if you have that, give it away. That's what Paul's saying here. That's where he's going to get to. And every person here who's come to Waters Church and said, I feel love of God here, all right, why don't you write this down because it's important. Because everyone here is, is here because someone they may or may not know served. Like I mentioned all my names. I wonder, I think everybody who loves Jesus could get up here and name three or four people yourself that led you to know Jesus. So if that has happened for you, it's time to make it happen through you. Amen? And so number two in your notes, aware of Christ's body. Three degrees of a mindset that make a difference. You're aware of Christ's body, which means, let me, let me put it in more striking vernacular. The church is not about you. Amen. It's not about you. It's not about your needs. It's not about what you want. It's not about your dreams. Please do not use the church to build your life, to accomplish your dreams and your purposes. That's, that's a horrible way to, to use the movement for which the, the Son of God shed his blood. It's not about you. C.S. Lewis famously said, if you want a religion that makes you feel comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. <laughs> Christ calls us to come and die and give our lives for others. We serve a savior, listen, we serve a savior who the night before he was betrayed, the night of, actually, he got down on his hands and knees, wrapped a towel around his waist, took a bucket of water, and washed the disciples' feet. And here's the real kicker. Are you ready for this? John, make sure we know this. He washed Judas' feet. Judas was gonna use those feet to go to the chief priest and get money to, to, to betray Jesus. And the reason why he had clean feet that night was because Jesus served. That is crazy to me. That is nuts. It's not about you. He says this in, in, in verse two. He says, complete my joy. In other words, make me happy. And, and, and Paul is writing this from prison to the Philippians. And he doesn't say, here's how you can make me happy. Get me out of here. <laughs> no. He says, I will be happy if I hear that the body of Christ in Philippi is working together and people are laying down their lives to serve each other. So here's how that happens. You have you have the same mind, mindset. You have the same love. You are in full accord, one mind. You do nothing. This is the hardest passage in the Bible, in my opinion, the hardest verse in the Bible. Here it is, ready? Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, vain glory in the King James Version means empty glory. Anything that you do to promote you is just empty glory. And then the next line, but in humility count others more 
what? Significant than yourselves. You know, um, what happens in church is, uh, and this is going to hurt, this is going to pinch some of you. We say we're serving God, but secretly we're serving ourselves. Now, we have a great couple of worship teams in our churches, but it hasn't always been like that. And this stage is a trap. This stage is a trap. Because you can very easily think, I'm serving God by singing on stage, or preaching on stage, or being on stage, when I'm really serving myself. It's taken me, and I'm not even there yet. I'm still not there yet fully. It's taken me all of my life to this point to realize that I am up here not for me, but for you. I am up here to connect you to Jesus. That's it. So it has nothing to do with how you respond to me, if you like me, if you appreciate it. It has nothing to do with that because it's not about me. It's about you and Christ. And sometimes we get to a place, even subconsciously, unconsciously, where we are serving Christ selfishly. I call it sanctified selfishness. Sanctified selfishness. I, I, I do this for others, but not really. I'm doing it for me. Jesus had the harshest condemnation for people like that. He said in his day, he said, look, look at those people. They pray to be seen by others. They give to be seen by others. Everything they do is to be seen by others. You, please do not be like that. Don't get up on this. I, I, I want to tell you how many times I've seen uh, people come up to me. I've got about a handful of people that have come up to me over the years of leading this church, and they come and they do, hey, pastor, if you ever need me to preach. If you ever need me to preach, I got a theological degree. I've got this certificate from T.D. Jakes. I went to Joyce Meyer's ministry. I did all these. Who cares about your certificates? Who cares about your theological degree? Can you serve somebody? And everybody that gets up here on this stage and preaches, beginning with Pastor Chris all the way down, have been people who have proven themselves worthy to serve in the unseen spaces for years. Our pastor Tom and Apollo Beach started in the parking lot. Started in the park. This is what he was doing. Can you do that? Because that would be awesome if we could have some of you. That would be great, especially some of you good-looking people. You know? Worship team members, we say, okay, great, you're up here. Now serve somewhere and nobody sees you. That's the body of Christ, being the body of Christ. Right up here in North Attleboro. Just heard an amen, he made me remember. One of our best worship leaders is right now doing sound. Nobody sees him. If you only care about him if he does a bad job. But, but, but he's there serving. That's the body of Christ. You know you're serving self when you think you're serving Christ? A couple of ways you know. When you see other people's gifts as a threat instead of a blessing. Listen to this again, because I told you this was going to pinch. But it becomes a competition. How come they're up there and I'm not there? How come they're doing that and I'm not doing that? How come nobody sees my gifts? How come everybody sees their gifts? How about everybody says, what are we doing? Imagine if the New England Patriots or the Tampa Bay Bucks worked like that. Imagine if they were like, well, I'm not throwing the pass because nobody appreciates me. An offensive lineman, nobody cares about him until he misses the tackle. But his job is essential. That's how it is in the body of Christ. There are so many people who serve in unseen places, and they lay down their lives, and they follow Christ. And, and so a couple of months ago, we were doing Jesus Encounter series, and I was out in the lobby, as I usually am, meeting and greeting people. And I ran into a couple. It was their last day at Waters Church. And it was the first time I ever met them. And the reason why they were at their last day was because they were moving to Arizona. And they gave me the testimony that I've heard so many times. From the moment we walked through the door, we felt loved. And so I said, hey, can I film this? Because I, I'm gonna do a series on serving and I wanna share your story. And so here's what John and Teresa had to say about their time here at Waters Church. Watch this. Okay, Waters Church, this is John. That's his wife, Michelle. And he wants to say something about those of you who serve in the usher ministry at Water Church. Go, John. When we first came here two and a half, three years ago, the ushers made a difference. The first person we met was Loretta, and she was so welcoming. And then there was Steve and Anna and Chris and Renee 
and there was Paul, and it just goes on and on and on. All these people loved us the moment we walked through the door, and God put them in our lives for a reason. I am so grateful for them. I praise God, and I give God all the glory for bringing people like that to this church, and to Pastor Hatch for the love and devotion he has for this congregation. This is a wonderful church, and we want him to open a church in Sierra Vista, Arizona, where we're going. Maybe we will. You know, you know what I love about that video? I was an afterthought. Like it was, it was Steve and Anna Lee who they serve here every week, and there are ushers, and sometimes they have to deal with the worst of people. And they, you know what they do? Steve and Anna Lee, they lead the ushers. You know what they do before service, before you get here? They go back right by that pack, Paul, and they pray for you. They pray for you. They got up earlier than you. I'm sure they would have loved to have stayed later at the restaurant last night. Just like you. But they said, we got to get a good night's sleep. Because serving saves lives. Somebody's coming to church for the first time. And they, need, they might be on the verge of divorce. They might have just had a suicide in their family. They might have just seen their son get diagnosed with a sickness. And their coming to church tomorrow has the potential to utterly change their lives. That is how you serve. And I love the fact that John mentioned so many other names other than me. Because it's not about me. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite verses says, love one another with brotherly affection. I love this next line. Outdo one another in showing honor. If you can't appreciate the gifts and other people that are not in you, you're failing at showing honor. You, you, you've got to appreciate that God has different people with different skills around you to do the job. Then he says, don't be slothful in zeal. Listen, don't let, every, don't let the small contingent of Waters Church do all the work of Waters Church. Help lift their burdens. Today, do something super spiritual. Are you ready for it? Go to the counters outside our buildings and sign up to surf and get involved here where you can mess up and we will still love you. Proverbs chapter, oh no, no, but before we get to the Proverbs, I was remembering how serving opens people's heart and minds and years ago, right before the COVID-19 nonsense, January 2020, uh, Pastor Chris here was leading a small group of people to our Guatemala mission and, and in the group that year was a couple of, I think they were 18 year old girls and they were, I think they were twins, I'm not sure, they were sisters. And they were doing what teenagers do today. And it's a long ride, long plane ride, long drive to the Guatemala mission. And they were doing this the whole way, phone, phone, the whole way, just phone, like glue, like Velcroed into their headpiece. I don't know, just, like nothing. Like you ask them, do you want coffee? Yes. Okay, all right, back to the phone. Like that's all, that's all, not even lifting their heads beyond one and a half feet from their eyeballs. And then Chris brought them to the place where there's a dump in Guatemala where Guatemalans, little Guatemalans and their families pick up scraps of cardboard all day long and pile it up layer by layer this high to sell it for a dollar. I wish that was an exaggeration, but that's true. That's their life. And those phone-addicted Tweeners from America suddenly holstered their phones and their eyes brightened and they realized that the world is filled with people desperate for someone to help them. I, you, you know what the answer is to the suicide pandemic? You start serving. Now, Proverbs 11.25, let me show you why. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes who? Others will be what? Refreshed. <laughs> 
That's the secret to joy. That's the secret that our politicians will never tell you, that Hollywood will definitely never sell you, that even our educational system has abandoned completely. You want to be happy? Help someone else. Number three ingredient to a mindset that makes a difference is you are moved by Christ's example. You are moved by what Jesus did for you. And I would venture to say this, that it's impossible. It's impossible to call yourself a Christian if you're not serving other people. I'm telling you, like, I always get a kick out of people. I'm a Christian. Where do you go to church? I don't go to church. Where do you give? Don't ask me about my money. What, what about you would give verifiable evidence to others that you're a Christian? Like if Christianity became a crime tomorrow, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I fear that there is a whole bunch of professing Christians who Netflix their mind into oblivion and then say, I don't have time. I don't have time to go to church. Okay, watch a few less episodes of Game of Thrones, get saved, and come to Jesus and serve someone else. For heaven's sakes. I'm so, I'm so tired of that kind of Christianity. It's just sick, it's a, it's a curse. It's a cancer on the world. And it's why non-Christians want nothing to do with Christ. I mean, we gotta, we gotta look at who we're following. We are not Lady Gaga disciples. We, we, are, we are not, I don't know, name me somebody else, I don't even know. Taylor Swifties. <laughs> what an appropriate name for you people. Swifties. We are not disciples of this culture. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul says, here's what he did. Look at it, verse five. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something. In other words, not to, not, he didn't hold on to his place with the Father in eternity past. He let it go. He emptied himself. He took on the form of what? He took on the form of a what? Servant. Servant. And being found in likeness of human form, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death on a cross. You know, in your Bibles, if you look at your paper Bibles, if you have a paper Bible, you will see that these verses are kind of indented. You'll see that on your paper, maybe on your digital Bible as well, indented. The reason why they're indented is because all the commentaries say this. It was, a, it was a song. It's not a text, it's a song. These are the lyrics of a song that the first century church sang. And they sang these lines. Though he was in the very form of God, he'd not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he took on the form of a servant. And, and, and you say, well, why, why do they do that? Why do they sing that song? Because they weren't like us. They didn't sing songs I call these sanctified selfishness songs where the singing is all about me. God loves me. God cares about me. God pursues me. God chases me. God, me, me, me. God, me, me, me. God, me, me, me. No. They sang about what God did. How he laid down his life. And the reason why it was a song and why they sang it is because this is a verifiable fact. You remember what you sing. Singing helps you remember. Want proof? Pause for a minute for me, Kevin. My country, tis of thee. Yeah, how do you remember that? You sing it. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. <laughs> looking for my... Sinners. <laughs> Bring back that soft spiritual, Kevin. Let's get them, let's get them saved. You sing what you remember. 
You need to remember what he did for you. Or you will become the most self-centered, arrogant Christian the world has ever seen. I need to go back to the cross again and again. I need to remember. I can't believe it. I can't believe he bled for me, and I can't believe he died for me. I can't believe he lived for 30 years in obscurity. I can't believe the Son of God chose to be born to Mary and Joseph, poor people from Nazareth where nobody went to visit. I, I can't believe that when he was casting out demons and raising the dead and healing the sick and the people came and said, let's make you king, let's make you king. And he said, no, I didn't come for that. I didn't come that way. I came to die. I came to die so that you could live. And then that passage closes out by saying, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know what happened? When Jesus laid down his life and served, God gave him significance. And young people, listen to me. Instagram can't do it for you. TikTok can't do it for you. Social media followers can't do it for you. A boyfriend or a girlfriend cannot do it for you. Some weird self-imposed identity cannot do it for you. Serving makes you significant. Write it down. In serving, I find my significance from God. So I'm not really interested. And having a church of people that just love our services and come and leave. I'm not really interested in that at all. I'm interested in you letting the love of God not just come to you, but through you. Sign up to serve and let's get started here because serving saves lives.